Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. About 40 organizations, including the Sierra Club, recently outlined actions they want the Eugene Water and Electric Board to take to continue the utility's transition to clean and renewable energy. That followed analysis by the customer-owned utility that suggests the need for different sources of low-carbon energy, including the possibility of small modular nuclear reactors. Aaron Orlowski is a spokesperson for eWeb. He joins us once again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. So we last talked in January, and, and since then, you released a new analysis over the summer focused on the need for more low-carbon, on-demand electricity. Can you just remind us about the process that this is a part of? Sure, Dave. This is part of our integrated resource planning process, or IRP process. And essentially what we're doing is we're forecasting future electricity demand 20 years into the future, and then we're using modeling software to analyze what combinations of energy resources we could find to meet those needs. And the model incorporates dozens of different types of resources, different types of wind from different states, Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, different types of solar. And yeah, it also includes uh, small modular nuclear reactors, different kinds of natural gas plants, hydropower. Um, But all that goes into the stew and uh, we figure out, we use the model to, to see what potential combinations nations of resources could maybe meet our needs. Why is on-demand electricity such a, a key piece of this forecasting? Yeah, so we, uh, in, in earlier this year, we released some new analysis that looked specifically at what happens to the suggested porfor- portfolio when demand rises quickly. So what happens when conditions are a bit more extreme? And essentially what it found is that, you know, we might need something in addition to the renewable base that we have right now. Uh, Right now, uh, eWeb has mostly hydropower as our base. About 80% of our energy comes from hydropower. Uh, And then the the on-demand resources come into it uh, to help meet demand meet needs, especially when those needs are very high. So think about extended cold snaps when people are running their electric heaters nonstop for days, um, or extended heat waves like we just experienced uh, last month or a couple weeks ago. What have you heard from ratepayers and community members about um, two of the options that are under discussion? Uh, Biomass plants that would burn woody material and small modular nuclear reactors. Well, we did hear from customers on those resources, and a lot of customers have some concerns about the the nuclear component in particular. Um, But I'd like to emphasize here kind of a bit more about how the model works, um, because it it gets a little bit into the weeds, but I, I think it's important. We essentially what we did is we we told this model to incorporate three core values that eWeb holds and that our customers hold. And so the first one of those values is reliability. So every portfolio that the model suggested had to be reliable. You know, it's essentially a no blackouts policy. The second uh, core value that we incorporated was affordability. So every portfolio that the model suggested has to keep rates low. So think of it 
no unnecessary expenses. And then the third value is environmental responsibility. And so every portfolio has to be 95% carbon free by 2030. So that's a little bit more carbon free than we are currently because our portfolio is about 90% carbon free. Um, and so we just have a, a little bit more to go to get to 95. But once you factor in those variables, it does guide the, the portfolio options in particular directions. In 1980, Oregon voters instituted a ban on nuclear power plants until a permanent waste storage facility has been built. They also said that voters would have to approve the new power plant. Can you imagine voters today changing those laws to embrace nuclear power? Well, that's a really tough question to answer. Um, But what I can say is that Oregonians already get a certain amount of their power from nuclear today, even though there aren't any facilities in the state. So for instance, uh, at EWEB, about 8% of our energy comes from nuclear. And that's via the Bonneville Power Administration, which is a federal agency that sells power to local utilities such as EWEB. And Bonneville gets that nuclear power from the Columbia Generating Station, which is a large commercial power nuclear power plant in Washington state. So we already get a certain amount of uh, our energy from nuclear, and uh, it just happens to come across state lines before it gets here. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the really big technological breakthrough that was announced for commercial-scale geothermal projects. They basically borrowed drilling techniques from fracking for oil and gas. And and, and it seems like, I mean, the, the boosters for it in Nevada and other places say that this could be a, a game changer. Does that factor into your thinking about the future? Absolutely. So when we when we modeled small modular nuclear in our in our port in the analysis process, uh, essentially it stood in uh, for a on demand zero carbon resource, and we were able to model it because there's some pricing data available and because there's projections that it'll be commercially viable um, by around 2030. We didn't get a chance to model geothermal, but it is a super exciting technology. Uh, As you mentioned, there have been technological breakthroughs in just the last couple months. Um, And so right now we're at the stage where we're getting ready to start the analysis process for our next integrated resource plan, and that's going to be published in 2025. And so we're going to update some of the data and the inputs and the assumptions, and we're really hopeful that we can include geothermal in that mix because it would meet a lot of the same needs for the grid um, that something like small modular nuclear does uh, could also do. You know, we just we need to be looking closely at those on-demand sources of energy that are also low or zero carbon to help maintain that grid reliability while also uh, achieving a, a zero carbon grid eventually. In my intro, I mentioned that a few dozen organizations and individuals recently signed on to a letter calling on eWeb to do a few different things. Among them, expand programs intended to speed up the transition to clean energy in a just way. And they also want you to take more advantage of historic funding through the IRA and the Infrastructure Act. What's your response? 
Well, we received that letter and essentially our response is we're excited too. Uh, you know, we have a good working relationship with the Sierra Club and other environmental groups in Eugene, 350 Eugene, Fossil Free Eugene, um, and we're in communication with them pretty frequently. Um, so we're, we're taking a look at the, the details in their letter. They had some specific recommendations about how to adjust some of our low income programs to ensure that there's uh, our low income customers are, are able to meet their energy needs. They had some suggestions around around ramping up electrification incentives. Um, and those type of incentives would build on things that we're already doing. So for instance, right now, um, you know, we have a raft of incentives to help customers reduce their electricity usage. Uh, one of the best ones, in my opinion, is an $800 rebate for residential ductless heat pumps. Um, so that's something that is uh, available to all our customers. We also offer up to $1,100 for uh, a residential rebate for heat pump hot water heaters. Uh, and we also have rebates that go to some of our business uh, customers as well, like a, a rebate or to cover the cost of commercial lighting upgrades. Um, so we're really excited about some of the, the programs that we have there and uh, looking forward to working with the local groups on on those. The letter writers also asked you to build your own renewable energy generation and storage projects. How do you think about that in terms of what's best for your ratepayers, your customers, building your own projects or buying energy from the market? There are definitely trade-offs to doing both of those approaches, uh, and there's there are a lot of factors to consider. Uh, you know, for instance, building a local renewable energy project. Uh, if you just take, for instance, maybe uh, solar, for example, you know, the the benefit of having some sort of solar facility here locally would be that it's here locally. You know, if something happens to transmission lines further away, then you know it's available in those times of need. At the same time the sun shines a lot more in Eastern Oregon. And so we could get more energy for a lower cost from a, a utility scale solar facility in that kind of location. Uh, so that's one of the types of things uh, to bear in mind. And then also with going to the market, um, you know, there's, there's an aspect of local control there. So if we own the generating resources, then we have more control of them. We have more control over the carbon content of that energy. So, you know, a lot of times uh, on the market, you don't always you, you always can't control the how much carbon emissions the that electricity is producing um, when you're just going to the market when you when you need electricity so there are trade-offs to both approaches and you know one of the good things about what we've been doing with this modeling process is that we've been essentially um, improving our skills to make sure that you know as these opportunities arise for a project locally here in town or for a project somewhere else in the state, um, that we have the tools to be able to really do the math, run the numbers, uh, and see how much it costs, what are all the trade-offs. And, and, you know, that's something we really pride ourselves on at eWeb is being a really analytical organization and uh, approaching things from that perspective. All right. Speaking of analytics, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked to somebody from PGE who talked about demand response programs. These are voluntary programs that customers can take part in to reduce their use of electricity, especially at, at times like his example was late afternoon when people want to turn their AC up, um, with which increasingly is a huge draw on, on the system. And, and he said going from 72 degrees to 70 degrees, uh, sorry, the other way around, from 70 to 72 could make a big difference. Do these programs work, these voluntary programs to reduce demand? Well, Dave, I'm, I'm really excited that you asked about that because we actually had some 
some really exciting uh, events transpire for the grid uh, in just the last couple of weeks. During that mid-August heat wave, um, essentially eWeb, we did something we've never done before. We issued a voluntary call to conserve energy to our customers. So we sent an email to every single customer. We posted on social media and it was informal uh, and it was voluntary. And uh, because you know that was a time when the the grid was potentially strained with these hundred degree temperatures. Right, that's 40, that's when we were talking with him. Yeah, and PGE had great success as well. Um, and our customers responded. They cut energy use by ten to fifteen megawatts, which is the equivalent of approximately ten to fifteen thousand window air conditioning units. Huh. Do so you know was, what they were doing or what they weren't doing? You know, it's hard to dig into the numbers exactly like that, but, you know, we asked people to, you know, delay charging of their electric vehicles. So if you're an electric vehicle owner, that's one of the easiest things you can do. Just, you know, delay it until overnight, you know, turn up the the setting on your your thermostat a couple degrees, like you just mentioned a minute ago, Um, or even delay the use of major appliances. Um, You know, I I miss our customers, I'm sure, did a combination of all those things, whatever kind of worked for their household. Uh, and what we're optimistic about from this really encouraging response is that one of the things that we took away from the integrated resource planning process is the need for more of these demand response programs. You know, we don't have any formal ones here in Eugene right now, but it's something we need to institute in the future. So, this voluntary call to conserve was very encouraging. We're going to be conducting a formal study to see what types of programs exactly would be the best fit for our community. Um, and that's something we're going to be doing in the next couple of years. Aaron Orlaski, thanks very much. Thank you so much, Dave. Aaron Orlaski, spokesperson for Eugene Water and Electric Board. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.